our topic this week from the Bible. Last week, we did Genesis chapter 1 in our new uh, series on the Torah. Uh, Genesis 1 verse 1. And this week, we're going to do Genesis 1 verse 1. There's just a lot there, how can I say it? So last week we did the first three words, or the first word in Hebrew, Breshit, in the beginning, and this week we're doing the next word, God. Right? So that's the topic for, for tonight. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Right? So we have it there in the Hebrew. Breshit, bara, Elohim, et in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And again, our focus tonight will be on God and the term that God inspired Moses to use to describe himself the very first time in the Bible, third word in, in the Hebrew, in the Bible, they use and there's lots of different terms, titles for God. Of all of them, he chose Elohim. I think there's a reason for that. Now, he could have chosen lots of things. Like I say, he could have chosen the yud Hey vav Hey. Some people think that's the all in all, right? I've even seen versions of the Bible where they take out every other version and they put the yud Hey vav Hey there. No matter what, that's it. It's like the beginning and end for them, but it wasn't the beginning for the Bible. The first time use in the Bible was Elohim. Could have used Adonai, could have used El, could have used El Shaddai, and so many other titles that God claims and rightfully claims in the scriptures. But he chose Elohim, God. Now, as we look at the word in and of itself, we see that it's a plural word, has the em on the end. When a masculine word has an em on the end, it makes it plural. An example of that, one of my favorite words, uncle, Dode, why I like it so much is I can spell it backwards or read it backwards, a little dyslexic, and it still comes out right, right? So dode, and you want it uncles, and it's dodim. Just add that em onto it, and it makes it plural, just like in English, we add the s onto the end of the word to make it plural. It's that simple. And so Elohim is a plural term for God. We see it here also with the heavens, Hashemayim. An interesting thing with heavens, whether it has the S on it or not in English, uh, it's, the word is for sky, for heaven, is Shemayim. So it's always this plural, and that could be because there's so much in the heavens, right? There's lots of different gases in the heavens, there's clouds in the heavens, for whatever reason, that is the word for it. Same with water. Water is mayim. Always in that with an eem on the end of it. And again, the water, there's so much in the water, just water itself, just H2O is a combination right there. So it's a, a plurality in and of itself. And uh, there's so many, the vastness of the waters and everything that's in the waters. So those are in the plural sense, just like God is in the plural sense. Elohim is in the plural sense of the word. God wanted us to get that in describing himself. Again, the first words in the Bible, first description of him. Could have used lots for us to understand him and know him. The first thing he wanted us to understand about him was that he is Elohim. Now, as we look at Exodus chapter 20, verse 1, where the Ten Commandments are, and I think this is a very significant 
part of the Bible too, right? Maybe the two most significant parts of the Bible, two most significant lines of the Bible, the very first line in the Bible and the first line of the Ten Commandments, which God wrote with his own finger, right? Those are pretty significant. Right? Someone might say, well, the words of Yeshua himself are more significant. Yeshua is the one who is there in the beginning. Right? He's the one whose finger wrote the Ten Commandments, right? So these are his words. So in that Exodus 20, verse 1, again, Elohim is used, and God spoke. Now this is interesting. When it says, and God spoke, Moses, God inspired Moses to use the word devar, which is also translated as word, as we see just a couple words later on. Hadevarim, devar, same word, right? You see that? Same exact spelling for the root of that word. And now it's with the em on it, so it's words. So it could be translated, and the words God spoke, or the word God spoke, all these words saying. And there are times where he does do that, uh, uses devar just about 100 or so times in the Bible where it uses that. Other times it uses the word omer, as it does there, for saying. We could have omer there, for omer, and, and God said. But this time it used devar, and I think that's important too, as we'll see here in just a little bit. So he uses devar there, the word God, and here we have an example of im, plural word, words. It's just for consistency. Consistency, we're seeing that im making it plural, just as with Elohim. Now we go two more verses in the Ten Commandments to a portion of the first commandment, and it says, you shall have no other gods before me. And the word that is used there that's translated in the English as God is Elohim. The very same word that is used in the beginning of the Ten Commandments, the very same word that's used in the beginning of the Bible, Elohim. Here, obviously, it's in context, it's talking about false gods. But in English, we translate it as gods, plural. Why? Because it's Elohim. Right? Gods, it's plural. So why do we see this here as God's plural? Why did the translators see that as God's Elohim? Translated as God's in the plural, clearly in the plural, as God's. And yet when they're translating Genesis 1, verse 1, or Exodus 20, verse 1, it's Elohim and translated as just God. Well, we know that God is one, but he's a plural one, a unique plural one. Now, um, another, I should back up a little bit, back where I was talking about the Devar word. In Exodus 34, he talks about the Ten Commandments, and it refers to him as God's ten words. As if each commandment, with lots of words in it, is each one word, the word of God. It's kind of a plural in that sense. So God is this plural. And here in, back to chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, and God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Clearly, plural terms that he's referring to himself. He could have easily said, 
And God said, and there we have the said, and he uses Omer there, and said, and God said, I will make man in my image, in my likeness. But he didn't. Clearly uses are. And we see that in the Hebrew. Here with make, and the word for make here is aseh. And we'll come back to that in a little bit, that he used the word for make. He made, he make, aseh. So you added a prefix onto it, the nun, and that prefix makes it us. Let us make. And that's what that does when that nun is prefixed to the word. It makes it us making, as opposed to I, mom making, it made. Uh, here with image, right? So the nun, uh, the new added to the end of that makes it R. Same here, new ending on the end, just like in the word my father. If we were to say my father, we'd say Avi, right? Av is father, like Avraham comes out of Av, Avi. We make it our father, we have Avenu, the new added to the end, Avenu. Like we have in the prayer that we say at Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, Avinu Makenu, right? Our father, our king, Avinu, right? So that new on the end of it makes it our father, our king, right? So it's pretty, the suffix there, the new on the end clearly makes it our, clearly making it plural. It's right here in chapter one, God describes Elohim, plural, us, plural, new, plural, are, new, plural, are. The plurality of God, right there in chapter one, that this God who created all things is a plural God. Unique in that sense, and special in that sense, clearly in that sense. Now, some will say the are is he's referring to the angels. Him and the angels are talking this out, and we're going to make man in our image. Well, man wasn't made in the image of angels, and angels aren't you know, equal, directly equal with God that they can have this conversation, we're going to make man in our image. This is God saying, didn't say God and the angels said, we're going to make man in our image. God made man in, him saying, our image, our likeness. And let us do that. Very clear. Very clear. In these texts itself, in the Hebrew itself. And so what is this plurality of God like? What does that mean that God is plural? Well, we have examples of such as a team, a family, a flock, all being one, right? It's a plural term. These are plural terms, right? You can't have a team with just one person on it, right? You have to have more than one person on it. Right? Uh, for example, if the baseball team went out and a team of players went out in baseball to, to run a, and chase a, a ball around a grass field, why on earth would they do that? I have no idea. Right? <laughs> to make millions of dollars, maybe, right? I don't know why anyone would pay to someone millions of dollars to have them run around and chase a ball in the field. But whatever they're uh, working, I mean, it's good exercise. Um, so <laughs> you know, so uh, as a team, they go out there. It's not one individual, and they have to work together. Right? Even if one of the players is super fantastically well, he can't win on his own. 
right? There's one guy throwing the ball, there's another guy hopefully catching the ball, but if it gets hit before that guy catches the ball, hopefully someone else will catch the ball, and then they obviously have to throw it to somebody else to get him out, right? So they have to work together as a team, right? If it's hit to the shortstop, he doesn't run across the field to, to touch first base to get the guy out, right? He throws it to the first baseman, right? They're supposed to work together as a team, but they're still just a single team, right? Growing up, and so he is this single team or this single family all together, that he is this one family, this one team, or like a flock, right? Flock of geese, right? Has more than one goose in the flock of geese, right? Uh, have you ever seen how they work together as a team? They're working together. They fly together in that like V formation, right? With one at the head, right? And, the, and they're moving along. And, and that one in the head, he's breaking the, the, the wind for them and taking all that heat from that. And he has to change, gets tired. And so he goes into the back. And then another one takes over as the lead. And they're constantly working that as a team, working together to, uh, to reach the destination. Now, you notice, notice that that V shape that they'll make as they're going along? Right. Yeah. And you ever notice that one side is often longer than the other side? Yeah. You know why that is? There's more geese on that side than on the other side. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of people didn't understand that, but that's, that's how it works. But they're working together. Anyway. They're working together as a team, as one unit, to reach a unified destination and goal. Just as God, this God, Elohim, this plural God, has a purpose and a plan together. Now, I want to go to, we skipped a word, so let's go back a word. Let's go to this word, bara, here in the, in the beginning, God created. So now the second word, we're moving along real quick here, right? two, two sermons, and we're now up to the second word uh, in, in the Bible. Bara is the word created. Now, God could have inspired Moses to use a lot of different words for that, such as we just saw. Instead of bara, he could have used the make, right? God, instead of God created, in the beginning God created, could have said, in the beginning God made the heavens and the earth, right? And used uh, a saying. But instead of that, he used bara. And I believe there's a reason for that. As we look at the root of bara, oops, I went the wrong way. The root of bara is bar, which is son, just like bar mitzvah, right? The son of the commandments, right? So bar is son, and see that's the root there of bara, right there in the very, very beginning. Now, see some uses of this term bar in the Bible, the sun in the Bible, many places. I want to look at the place in Daniel, chapter 3, verse 25. Look, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. It's Nebuchadnezzar looking into the fiery furnace. He sees one, and he says, this one looks like the Son of God. I believe it's the same Son of God who was there in the beginning who created all things. As we look in the book of John, chapter 1, verse 1, 
It says, in the beginning, so obviously a reference to Genesis 1 verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. So here again we have the Word. Now here the word is not devar, as in Hebrew, because this is in uh, Greek, but it's in logos. But that word devar, it's still that principle of devar. Okay, and we see that word devar. Uh, the, the word uh, for the fifth book of the Torah is devarim. Words, right? So they're called Deuteronomy. I don't even know what a Deuteronomy is. Anyone know what a Deuteronomy is? Where do you get that term for the fifth book of the Bible, Deuteronomy, right? I like words. It should be called the words, right? It's the words, right? That's what it was in Hebrew. They call it Devarim. They call it the words. That's the fifth book. Words. So here's the word that was in the beginning that spoke and said all those things and created all those things was with God and the word was God. So in order to be with God and to be was God, it shows two different positions, right? You can't be with yourself. You have to be with, but it's with God and God. Well, how can that be? How can you be with God and God itself? Well, since God we're seeing, Elohim, is a plural term, more like team or family. So a family, like I grew up in a five people in our family, in our home, when I was a child. So we had the Zaremsky family. I was with the Zaremskys, right? And I was a Zaremsky, you see? So I was with the other Zaremskis in the home, right? Or the player on the team, he's with the other players on that team, and he is of that team. So he was with God and was God. And I'd be just as equal for me to say when I was young, growing up, and still today, I'm a Zaremsky, as it would be for my father or anyone else in the family to say they are a Zaremsky. And so they was God and with God. He was in the beginning. He says that twice for that emphasis, bringing us back there. In the beginning, with God, all things were made through him. Barah, bar, the sun, creating all things through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. Everything was made by him. So you didn't make it. Everything was made by him. Thus, he deserves honor and glory for everything. Right? If someone says, oh, that was a good sermon, well, praise the Lord. Right? He made all things. Right? He created all things. And so whether you created that business, started that business, God made all things. Right? Whether you cooked that recipe and made that pot of soup or whatever, God made all things. He gave you the brain, he gave you the tools, he gave you the abilities, he gave you the skills, he gave you the materials. God created all things. Now he works through people and other things to make things at times, but it's still him. Nothing was made that was made. All things are from him. All things come to him, all things go to him. He is the creator of it all. Sometimes I'm in ministerial groups and they'll say, oh, my ministry this and my ministry. I'm like, what do you mean your ministry? Who are you? <laughs> right? What are you? that you, you are, It's God's ministry. Everything is God's. We own nothing. It's not us. It doesn't attribute to us anything. We are blades of grass here today, gone tomorrow. Right? 
They'll say, my congregation, my, I, two, I have two congregations, I have three congregations. What are you? Yeah. We are nothing. God is everything. He, all things, were made through him. To him be honor and glory for all things. Without him, you can do nothing. Without him, nothing is made. Because he really deserves every credit for everything that we're able to do. Everything and anything. So now back to the book of Daniel, another couple chapters further, into chapter 7, verse 13. So four chapters later, one like the Son of Man. Again, bar, Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven, not to this earth here, not in this verse. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. With God, was God. And so here in this scene, we have the heavenly judgment scene where the Son of Man this time, coming as the Son of Man, is the same one as chapter 3, the Son of God, who stood there with Daniel's friends, Ananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, here now as the Son of Man, as our representative, coming before the Ancient of Days, in the ultimate Yom Kippur, in that ultimate judgment day, bringing him as our advocate before him, the eternal judge. And he's standing there on our behalf. The same bar, but here now as a son of man. How can he be both son of God and son of man? Let's go back to John chapter 1, verse 1. Where it was in the beginning, he was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Verse 14. So here in the beginning and from eternity, Son of God. But when he came to this earth as a babe in a manger, he became one with us. He divested himself of the divinity and took on humanity. And became the Son of Man, took on flesh, tempted in all ways, just as we are. Yet he did not sin, and he dwelt among us, tabernacled with us, became one with us. And that's the whole principle here. That's the whole theme and the whole importance of God being Elohim, that he is one. He doesn't want us to be individualistic. He doesn't want us to be independent. He doesn't want it to be all just about any of us. He's made us social beings to be dependent on one another, to interact with one another, and be dependent on him first and foremost. And he demonstrates that in himself, that he himself is one, but united one, a plural one, a team one, working together, in unity together, as a family together, as we'll see, not tonight, but another week. A couple weeks, still right there in, in the beginning of Genesis, God made Adam and Eve, two different individuals, and yet it says, and the two shall be one flesh. Did they merge together physically and become a, uh, a Siamese twin or something like that? No, they were still two individuals, different purposes, different minds, different tastes, but they were united together 
as one or to be, they was to be, that was the ideal, that was the goal, for them to be one, and God is that one, and that's the oneness that he wants us to have, together with him and together with each other, in our marriage, in our congregations, as one unit. Different opinions, different ideas, different tastes, different goals, or same goal, but different uh, gifts to use together as a body, an individual body. Lots of different parts make up the body. Not all of them do the same, none of them do the same thing. They got different purposes, but they work together, ideally, right? Hand doesn't hit the head, right? Not supposed to. Not supposed to kick yourself. Right? It's work to harmony together. Feet working together with the mind and the eyes to go in a certain direction. Right? That's the plan. Go from here to there. They work together to reach that goal. To digest food, right? The eye helps pick it out. The nose helps pick out which food. Right? The hand reaches in and picks it and cooks it or cuts it or whatever. Right? The taste buds make sure that the eyes weren't wrong, the nose wasn't wrong. Right? The throat has the final say. <laughs> you know? They're not going to let it in yet. And then the saliva starts digesting and then the whole process going down to digest and then the stomach digesting it right? and then all the way on out. Right? So the whole thing working together to get us nutrients, all these different parts working together as a united team as one goal. And that's how God describes himself. As individuals working together, united together to create humanity. And that's what he came here to do and demonstrate with us. Become one with us. He's already one with the Father. And he wants to be one with us. And he wants to be that bridge that connects us together with the Father. And that was his, one of his final prayers. That we would be one. And that we would be one with them. That we would be one just as he and the Father is one. And that we would be one with them. And that we would be one with one another. And not this independent spirit. Everyone doing their own thing. That's not God's spirit. That's not God's character. That's not how God is. And that's not how God wants us to be. Just floating around thinking we, we're it. You know, We're not it. God's made us dependent on others. He's made us have a need for others, for fellowship. We're herd creatures. We need to herd together. We need to be together. We need that. We need that bonding. We need one another to make us whole, to unite the gifts together. No one of us, right? We see in sports, some guy thinks he's the best, he's the greatest, he wants all the money, he wants all the fame, gets all the name, all the publicity. No, you can't do it without the rest of the team. And same with us. God wants us to work together, harmony together, so that we can demonstrate what God looks like and being unified together with that one purpose of reaching heaven and bringing other people to heaven with us. That's the one goal that we should all be in harmony on and working towards. There are different gifts and talents and abilities working together for that singular goal. And that's God's singular goal bring us to heaven with him. We can be one with him in mind, in heart, in spirit, and physically for all eternity. And we lose that when we lose the oneness of God. 
There's some groups that don't want to have this plural oneness of God. They want an individual singular God. And he is one God. Not like the Greeks with lots of different gods that are conflicting with each other. But not just a single individual. It's described in Elohim from the very beginning. And Baran, us, make man in our image, in our likeness. God clearly, very clearly, from the very beginning, describes himself as a unified plural. And you can't be just unified by yourself, right? You say the fastest and most efficient board is a board of one, right? A committee, a committee of one, right? But God says that's not safe, right? In the multitude of counselors, there are arguments, right? But nonetheless, in the multitude of counselors, there are lots of opinions, but in the multitude of counselors, there is safety, according to Solomon. So he has us needing each other, conferring with each other, communicating with each other, to work together with each other. And so some want God just as this individual, denying the very clear, plain word of God. And there are some who want to now, who, who have at one time believed and understood the plurality, plural, 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 I'm not a, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, and I'm not a linguist, right? So, you know, that, uh, I don't do linguisting really good, right? Every linguist would know that I just proved my point right there, right? So, but, uh, but God wants us to work together as a team in the oneness of God. And so there are some that are trying to eliminate that and trying to deny the unity and equality of the Son with the Father. And that is very, very dangerous as we see what the Word of God clearly says and plainly says. When Yeshua was immersed, Father spoke from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Yeshua was there in the water, the Spirit was descending in between the two, and the Father was speaking from heaven. All together as one, in mind and purpose, in three different places, doing three different roles. So in Psalm 2, verse 12, it uses this bar, the sun, kiss the sun. In context, what is that referring to? Let's read from Psalm 2, starting verse 1. Why do the nations rage and plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves against the Lord and against his anointed against the Lord and his anointed. And the anointed there, that the word there is Moshiach, right? So Messiah, against the Lord and his Messiah, saying, let us break there, again, a plural word, break there, cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. He shall speak to them in his wrath. I have set my king on my holy hill, Zion, the Lord said to me, you are my son. Now, obviously, in context here, he's talking much more than just King David. Right? The eternal king, the son, the son of God, who became the son of man, came one with us. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. You shall break them with a rod of iron. Right? And the Bible talks about the Messiah having this rod of iron as well. And so the nations, the world come against God. 
And we're seeing that, in opposition to God. And God laughed at him. You're going to take me on? <laughs> I created all things. Nothing was made that has been made without him. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. So here again we see this duality of the roles. His wrath come as judge, the judgment scene. If we reject him, if we resist him, if we work against him, even if we, and some of the worst ways that we work against him is by professing to be following him and denying his word. Or professing to be following him and disobeying his word. That's the worst kind. Taking his name in vain. Saying I'm a follower of his, I'm part of his family. And then yet not being in harmony with him. And so the wrath will come and judgment will come. But blessed are those, in contrast to that, Blessed are those who put their trust in him. So we have a choice. Do we want to work against him or do we want to work with him? Do we want to be independent? Do we want to be our own gods? Do we want to make our own decisions on our own and what, our, what we think? Are we willing to surrender to him and become submissive to him, become obedient to him, blend in with him? Surrender our carnal nature to him. Accept the Messiah that he came here to become one with us, to become humanity with us. That he could take our sins, that he could take our burdens, that he could take our cares. That he can remove our carnal nature from us. Taking our punishment for us. Taking the wrath of God for us. Becoming the curse for us. That we who knew no righteousness can become the righteousness of God in him. We can surrender and accept him and put our trust in him. Not our trust in ourselves. Not our trust in princes or princesses or politicians or anything else. Putting our trust in him and in him alone. Who's able to create all things and make all things and do all things good and do all things well in our behalf. And so God wants us to be one with him and one with one another as we unite with him and kiss the sun and come before him. And so in the beginning, God created Elohim Barah with the sun and Elohim. The heavens and the earth, the earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep and the spirit of God. And we'll get into that by God's grace, next week. Right? Unless he impresses me, there's something more he wants us to get out of these first few words. But we'll move on to the Spirit of God. So right there we see this unity of God, right there in the very beginning, very first two verses of the Bible. We have Elohim, Bar, and the Spirit of God coming together. Again, we'll get into that more next week. So this plural God who want, lives and demonstrates as an example to us that we also can be united together with him 
And as we unite together with him and come closer and closer to him, right? He's the center hub, right? We're all different. We all come from our different backgrounds and different talents and abilities and, that he's gifted us with. And as we come closer and closer to him, we automatically come closer and closer to one another. Right? We don't lose our individuality, right? God doesn't want um, us to become robots with uniformity, right? He doesn't want uniformity. He wants unity. And there's a difference. A uniformity is everybody wearing the same exact uniform. Everybody's thinking exactly the same. Everybody's saying exactly the same thing. Right? He wants to be unified working together, right? He doesn't want everyone playing first base, right? Or whatever. Right? All have our roles, we all have our parts, but working together in unity together. And that's what he demonstrates. And when we lose that understanding of him that way, then we all then because the image of God that we have is what we will live out. Right? So it kind of works both ways, right? So we were, Adam and Eve were created in the image of God, and whatever image we create for ourselves of God, that is what we become. And we'll see that. When Eve began to believe that God was selfish, that God was withholding, a certain serpent told her, God doesn't want you to have that. He's held that back for himself. In her mind, she said, well, God is selfish, so I should be selfish. So she took it for herself. <laughs> you see? Like, uh, and so whatever we have of God, we have God that is wrathful or he's harsh or he's stern, then that's how we will be. Right? If we think he's wishy-washy and, and just forgiving and graceful, well, we'll be wishy-washy <laughs> and let everyone walk all over us and all over everyone else. Right? But we have this balance that he's a judge, and yet he can be trusted and he's in there on our behalf and he's merciful and he's loving and he's forgiving, but he's still a judge and equal and fair and just. We have that balance, we'll be balanced as well. So if we have a picture of God that he's only this singular individual, then we will be independent as well. We will move along and we don't care what our spouse says, this is what I want, and it causes divorces and separations and splits in the congregations and we don't need a congregation what do I need to be a part of a family of God I'm okay by myself I can pray by myself I can read the Bible myself and we become just individuals instead of united together but we have a picture of God that he works together that they are unified together they are a plural one and we become like that as well we see our need of others and to work together with others and to work in our need of him and our dependence on him. So it's a very key for us to have this beginning understanding. In the beginning, God. Rashid, bara, Elohim. And so as we prepare to pray, if you've been of independent spirit, go it alone spirit, your way or the highway, you can do it alone, you're a self-made person, and you want to surrender to God. Become dependent on him, trusting in him, united in him. In a moment when we pray, I invite you to surrender everything that's held you back. Everything you're trying to overcome in your own strength, trying to do it in your own ability. And you want to surrender to him. Let him just absorb you into himself. Make you one with him. If, you've been, if that applies to you, in a moment when we pray, you can do that. Pray that. Two, if you've been Similarly, independent and independent of others. Not working together, not playing nice with others. Right? And God's convicting you of that. It takes two to tango. You want to surrender that, 
become one, united with others, united with God's children here, bonding together with others, interconnected with others, using your little piece of gift that God has given you and uniting it together with the other gifts in God's body of family and working together in harmony together. In a moment when we pray, you can allow God to take away that spirit of independence and work together in harmony with him. And I wanna have a congregation to do that in, a family of God to do that in. Of course, you're welcome here to become a member here and unite together with the family of God here work together as one for God's purpose, God's spirit. Third, if there's a spirit of sin in your life, anything in your heart and mind that is against God, that's, in, that's uh, resistant to God, disobedient to God, we don't want to experience the wrath of God, we don't want to be against him. We want to be in harmony with him, we want to be one with him, in unity with him. So if there's any sin in your life, any area that you're doing something you know you shouldn't be doing, anything you know you should be doing that you're not doing, the moment we pray you can confess that to the Lord, accept the Messiah's sacrifice in your behalf. Let him cleanse you and remove it from you. And let him fill you with his spirit to empower you to live for him. Fill you with his mind, his heart, his life working in you and out of you and for you. And so if that applies to you, in a moment when we pray, we can do that. Fourth, if you've had uh, maybe a wrong concept, maybe this is the first time you've heard something like this, of God being plural, yet still one, this echad, this one unit together, a unit, team, family. You know, it's kind of a hard thing to grasp in just one sermon. But if it's opened your eyes, at least a little bit, you're willing to say, God, God, I want to learn more. I want to understand more. I want to understand you more. I'm open to receiving your word and the clear writing of it, clear Elohim, clear us, our terms in the scriptures. And I want to be, understand that correctly so I can understand you better. So if you're willing to pray that, the moment we pray, you can Open yourself up to God and let him continue to guide and direct you. If maybe at one time in the past you had an understanding of God as this plural God, this unified God, but for whatever reason you've pulled back from that, been led astray, have heard some erroneous teachings, they're not equal, they're not one, they're not united in that way, and you want to surrender that and come back, to the right understanding, biblical understanding, true understanding of this Elohim, this God, who is one together, who work together as one. In a moment when we pray, it takes the Spirit of God to, to break those satanic uh, holes that draw us away, that are in opposition to him. More than just thinking, satanic. Satan doesn't want us to understand God. And so, if that applies to you, in a moment when we pray, let God do his work, give you his wisdom, his understanding, based on his truth, based on his word. So if any of those areas apply to you, let us pray together. Let God do his work. Our Lord and our God, ruler of all things, 
creator of all things. Thank you for creating us. Thank you for giving us minds to have a small glimpse to understand you even just a little bit. Thank you for revealing yourself to us in your word. Continue to open our minds, open our hearts. Continue to lead us and draw us closer to you and to be like you, to be one with you, to unite with you. Remove from us all independence. Remove from us all pride and all greed and all selfishness. Live in us. Come upon us. Give us love for one another. To esteem others better than ourselves. To work together in harmony with one another, with, your, with brothers and sisters, your children together as one family. With you as the core. Unite us together, bond us together, bring us together. Unite us in you and use us that we may be one as you are one in heaven. That the world may see you in us. We ask these things in Yeshua's name. Amen.